0: All right. Canon. appreciate that prayer. I just love it when people pray for me. We talked about that at the men's retreat, and that is the most selfish thing anybody could do, and also the most productive thing anybody could do is to pray for whoever's going to be preaching to them. You know, it's like we need that, and so we pray that the Holy Spirit will work through um, the people that the Lord puts in front of us. I just wanted to say a couple things about the men's retreat. It was so enjoyable. It was so good. And we had, we had a group of men that, that gathered here on Friday and Saturday. And um, I just want to share a little bit about what uh, how, how men were challenged. And uh, it, it was so nice last night at the end of everything to sit and listen to everybody talk about, the way that they were blessed and to see how God had powerfully worked. And I was just thinking, I wish we videotaped this and could show it to everybody. It was just such an answer to prayer and so encouraging. But basically, this, uh, our theme this weekend was 1 Corinthians 16, 13, and 14, which just says, Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. <laughs> Good theme for Men's Retreat. Be strong and let all that you do be done in love. And uh, so Darren, uh, he he taught us first, and and uh, kind of the, his theme was all to, who desire to live godly will be persecuted. And just the thought about persecution. And man, that takes bravery. That takes strength. And persecution is something that that Satan uses to shut down what, what God has called us to do. We're afraid to be persecuted. And so his points were that we need to prioritize godly living. That's what brings persecution. That we need to expect persecution. And that we need to rejoice when it happens. A couple of the things that... Uh, Darren said that really stood out to me were that uh, we are at war and in enemy territory. And we just need to keep that in mind as we live our life. And also that we should not try to calculate our way through persecution. We should just obey God and then trust Him to get us through whatever happens. That was super encouraging. And I just think about, you know, man, you could go to evangelism seminars and they could tell you that if you're doing a good job in evangelism, you never offend everybody, anybody, and everybody kind of likes what you have to say. And I just think, that's not what happened to Jesus. That's not what happened to the disciples. That's not what happened to John the Baptist. And, uh, and it's just like for us to understand. No, persecution and rejection is to be expected. And that is what happens to faithful people that do and say what God says we should do and say. And um, uh, John Belletto, he taught on holiness. And uh, basically the fact that that is an attribute of God, that it's something that we're supposed to reflect. And so he talked about the fact that holiness is commanded. Holiness is God's stated will for us. Holiness brings God glory. And then he ended by just talking about, okay, so then how do you actually grow in personal holiness? And a couple of the things that he said that really stood out to me were that, you know, our personal holiness affects more than just us it actually affects the people around us. And he used Achan as the example. Achan sins and his whole family gets killed and Israel ends up losing this battle. And for us to realize that that our personal holiness is not just something between us and God, it impacts everyone around us. And then he also brought out the point that men can be embarrassed or afraid to be vulnerable. And uh, that that really is something that hinders discipleship. We need to be able to talk about where we are and where we're struggling um, in order to grow. So that was just super encouraging. And then Michael, uh, Michael finished it up with, uh, um, let all that you do be done in love. Um, The fact that, you know, we think about strength and all this stuff, but just to remember that what we do, we need to do in love. And his points, he first just talked about what is love. And he talked about the fact that we were made to love. That's God created us to do that. And that we need to understand and embrace God's love for us so that we can love others the way that God intends us to. And uh, so that was just super powerful. One of the illustrations that he used that helped me was that you can take a grapevine, and you can, a really healthy grapevine that is growing in a really strong way, and you can take different varieties of grapes and you can graft them in. And that really powerful vine will help those different varieties of grapes to grow in a really strong way. He just talked about how um, we have all been grafted into Christ, and it is Christ's strength that allows us to uniquely be powerful and to do the things that God has called us to do. He also talked about the fact that we are indwelled by the Holy Spirit, which means that we have everything that we need to love the way God intends us to love. I mean, this was just such a great weekend. And I would encourage all of you to just be praying for the men who, who came and also the men who didn't, that these things will take root and that God will use the men in our church in a powerful way, that they will live those things out and, um, and influence uh, our church, influence their families, influence where they work. Anyway, it, would just, it was, I got to tell you, it was just such a fun, place to be and to watch God's gifts working. So that was, that was amazing. So anyway, I um, wanted to just uh, point that out because, man, I just felt like, you know, everybody should be able to benefit from the good things that God is doing here. So this morning, we're going to be talking about spiritual gifts driven by love. Uh, the fact that, and this is an interesting thing. We so we've been going through a series on spiritual gifts, and one of the things that we have been learning is that God gifts churches with people, with individuals. So every single person in the church is actually a gift that God has given to the church as an individual. But the other thing that happens is that when a person becomes a Christian, the Holy Spirit indwells them. The Holy Spirit baptizes them. In fact, you are baptized in the Holy Spirit. That is what happens the moment you become a Christian. The Holy Spirit baptizes you, and that puts you into the body of Christ we are all baptized into the body of Christ. So that is something that happens at the moment of salvation. And the other thing that happens is that through the Holy Spirit in us, God also uniquely gifts every Christian. And so we have a supernatural gift ability that God has given us to serve the body of Christ. And so we recognize that. And um, One of the things that's crazy about the Corinthian church is that they were so gifted. At the very beginning of the book, Paul just says that you have every spiritual gift. But one of the things that you look at in the Corinthian church is they had a lot of conflict. They had a lot of division and they were saying, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, and they're kind of dividing up and there's all these conflicts and, and actually the Corinthian church really struggled with the Apostle Paul. Oh, he's a boring speaker and he he thinks he's so tough and, and he's he leads, but it's just cause of what he can get. And so there's all these things going on in the church. And so Paul is just writing to them and he's talking to them about spiritual gifts and he's talking to them about love and how to think about sin and he's giving them guidance and direction. And one of the things that is so amazing is that they are so blessed. They are in such an area of need. Like when you think about Corinth and the sinful things that were going on in that city and how much that city needed a faithful church. Not just that, but when you think about all the people who made up this church, they were people that were saved from terribly sinful backgrounds. You know, you you read the lists of things, sexual immorality, homosexuality, I mean, just all these debauched things that were happening in their city, idol worship. And these people came to Christ, they came to the church, and God transformed them. And so this was like an amazing thing. And Satan's looking at the good things that God had done in the church. He was looking at the desperate need that that city had for a properly functioning church. And then Satan took aim at their spiritual gifts. He took aim at conflict, division, self-centeredness in order to interrupt the things that God wanted to do. One of the things that uh, really stands out to me, one of the things I love about the Bible, love about What God says as He's writing to these different churches is that the truth is that we are no different today than things have ever been. Often we can look at our culture and society and we can just think, oh man, like if we look at recently things that are happening in the news and just where our country's going politically and some things like that, and we can just think, oh man, we are facing terrible times. It is so much worse now. Oh, when I was in school, we didn't have to deal with the things that people are dealing with in school now. But when you read the Bible and you realize, these are not the worst times. There have been times like this throughout history. We see things that we think are new in our culture. They are not new. In fact, reading the, Corinthian, the book of First Corinthians, reading about Sodom and Gomorrah, reading about even the nation of Israel at times... There is no sin issue going on today that has not been going on forever. In fact, I would say that it's not as bad today as it's been in the past. You guys remember the story of Noah, right? Where God looks around at the earth and he says, every thought and every intent of everybody's heart is constantly evil. And the earth is full of violence. And God says... I'm going to wash the earth (laughs) by drowning everybody except Noah and his family. And so it's just really, I think it's important for us to understand that these days and these times that we live in, these are great times of wonderful opportunity. And uh, so we need to be, for us to be the church and the people that God wants us to be, we need to understand spiritual gifts. And we need to be using our gifts and appreciating gifts And we need to know that love is the thing that drives everything that we do. And so we're going to look at, um, you know, I'm going to remind you of a few takeaways so far. Because Satan's always trying to mess up what we think about spiritual gifts. Here's one. Proper functioning of spiritual gifts is essential. And that's why they're under satanic attack. You are needed. Every single person and it's important for you to know that other people need you, and so that you show up and you're functioning the way God intends. The other thing is that you need other people. And uh, it's if you, you think about how pride could be so destructive, if you think, I'm the amazing gift that everybody else needs, come, allow me to use my gift, because you need me, um, versus realizing actually, no, you do need me, and I do have a role to play, but I actually need every single person. And that's what we've been learning in First Corinthians 12, is that there's prominent gifts, there are gifts that are not prominent, but every single gift is essential. Um, the second thing is that you should think about and try to discern your spiritual gift, and you should make sure that you're using it effectively. But this is the other thing. This is such a frustration. Anytime anybody teaches on spiritual gifts, people walk away discouraged and frustrated. And they're like, yeah, I don't think I know what my spiritual gift is. And after everything I've heard, I'm still confused. And the thing I want to encourage you with is you don't have to take a personality test to have a personality. And you don't have to know, well, am I an ESNJ? And you don't have to be able to label your personality to be able to live and to express your personality. And so I want to encourage you, figure out what your gift is. You do not need to know what your spiritual gift is to use it in the body of Christ. And so yes, let's figure it out. But don't be discouraged or frustrated. Be you and function. And uh, that's, that's the priority. And then the third thing is that spiritual gifts are given for the common good. No spiritual gift is given for self-edification. That's one of the false teachings about gifts. This gift is for your your self-edification. And here's how you can use this gift to edify yourself. Wrong. And uh, we're going to run into, uh, in chapter 14, we'll run into some of the passages where people try to draw that idea. But it's like Paul saying, this is wrong. (laughs) Don't do this. And people go, look, right there, he says, edifying yourself. You know, it's like, no, he says, don't do that. So, um, what we're going to look at this morning is we're going to see three important things that, you know, love is the motivation for the use use of our gifts. And the second thing is that God is the priority in how we view and use our gifts. And the third thing is that God places gifts uniquely. You're unique. There is nobody else like you. And so we're going to look at that, and I want to start by just kind of reading in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So if you have your Bibles, open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we're going to start in verse 1, and I'm not going to read the entire thing. I'm going to kind of skip through. So I'm going to start in verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I don't want you to be uninformed. We're supposed to know things. As Christians, somebody, somebody I saw wearing a t-shirt, it says, I know things, you know, it's like we need to know things. That's awesome. Uh, verse 3 and 4 says, therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. You know, if we are educated, and if we do read what the Bible says about spiritual gifts, we will recognize false spiritual gifts, and true spiritual gifts. We will recognize Satan counterfeiting leaders and teachers. We will recognize that, and we'll say, no, that is satanic. I'm going to point out some things today, I think, and I'm, and I'm just going to say, if these things happen, that is not from God. And uh, we need to be able to look around because if we can't identify false teaching, we get sucked into it and we get harmed by it. It goes on in verse 4, and it says, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of services, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers all of them in everyone. And then to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Um, oh, I have this gift so I can build myself up. <laughs> can I read that one more time? For each, the gift of the, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Your gift is for someone else. And I think I told this story already. It was like a, It's like a school class. They, this teacher took all these kids and put balloons in the hallway, and each, each balloon had a kid's name written on it. Did I tell the story already? Yep, yep. Um, some of you haven't heard it. He says yes, other people say no. I, but anyway, so the teacher sends the kids out into the hallway. He says, you have one minute. Go find the balloon with your name on it. And after a minute, nobody had their balloon. Then he takes that same class, and he says, what I want you to do is go out into the hallway, just grab the very first balloon you see, and whoever's name is on it, just go give that balloon to that person. In one minute, every single person had their balloon. And what happens is, when we as a church family are using our gifts to build each other up, that means that I have hundreds of people building me up, and I'm just building up whoever I can. So who benefits more? How do you benefit more? You benefit more when you realize when we all realize that our gifts are for the benefit of others. And then verse um, 11, these, all of these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one in individually as He wills. For just as the body is one and has many members, and the members of the body, though are many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, and we were all made to drink of one spiritual drink. That is talking about salvation. And by the way, we get baptized as a symbol of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which happens one time to every single person who becomes a Christian. They're baptized in the Holy Spirit, and it happens one time, and baptism is a symbol of that, which is why we only get baptized once. Unless we were baptized as a non-Christian, then we have to do it again. Um, verse uh, 14, for the body does not consist of one member but members, but as it is, God has arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. Now this is our section for today, and um, 1 Corinthians 13 talks about love. And so the, the most, one of the most significant passages on love comes in the middle of God's teaching on spiritual gifts. That's how important this is. So we'll dig into that, not this week, but when we get to 1 Corinthians 13. But this chapter, chapter 12, ends by emphasizing that gifts are to be driven by love. We don't even have to get to 1 Corinthians 13 to see that. Let's read this. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow greater honor. Like Think about that. Looking at other people, looking at other gifts and saying, that is not as prominent a gift, but I'm going to honor that gift. Because I know God put that here. You know, when you honor people, when you see people's value... Man, that is like, that's loving those people. And then it goes on, and it says, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require, but God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. And then verse 25, all that other stuff was just to put the context of verse 25. It says, that there may be no division in the body but that the members may have the same care for one another. And then he goes on, he says, if one member suffers, all the members suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So that's our first point comes out of there, that gifts are driven by love. And then here's the next part, God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administration, and various kinds of tongues. And then that we're all unique? Are all apostles? No. It doesn't say no, but that's the assumed answer in all these questions, just so you know. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? The answer to all those questions is no. And then he's going to end this chapter with something right here. He says, but earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. And then he's going to talk about love in 1 Corinthians 13. Um, You know what he's saying here, that, that last verse? It's just saying that actually love is more important than spiritual gifts, like as important as those are, love is actually more important, a more excellent way. And then he teaches on love. So we cannot take love out of the gifts of the spirit. So let's just consider this first thing here this morning, that love is the motivation for and, and, and uh, for the use of gifts. And uh, when you think about this whole concept of love, what did Jesus say? <laughs> so Michael covered a bunch of my verses last, last night in the men's retreat. And so I just told all the guys that they get to hear it again. And uh, so a bunch of them didn't come today, evidently, because they felt like they already heard it. No. Um, you know, when, uh, when, a, when a lawyer goes to Jesus and says, what's the greatest commandment in the Bible? Yeah. What does Jesus say? Okay, he says, and this is in uh, Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven and thirty-eight. He says, "Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength." And the second is like it that you will love your neighbor as yourself. Like if you think about that, that that Jesus says, the whole Bible, the whole Old Testament, is wrapped up in love God and love others. Now, one of the crazy things that you see people do is they will say, okay, let's ignore all the things that God said in the Bible. Let's just love each other. And then do you know what they do? They define love unbiblically. They define love by their own standard. They redefine it. So here's the thing. God defines love. Well, we don't define love. Um, have you ever heard somebody say, how could a loving God send anyone to hell? Yeah. So we just need to prioritize love. There is no hell because a loving God wouldn't send people. To hell. Guess what? A loving God does send people to hell. The Bible says that. Yeah. Um, you know, I could never, this, this person, if, if they can't engage in this sin oh my goodness, their life would be destroyed. It would be just so terrible. They they would be so unhappy. A loving God would never tell this person they couldn't be happy. Um, That's not love. And so what people do is they take this commandment, they take the word love, and then they cross out every single thing in the Bible with it. Instead of understanding that if you love God, You will obey everything in the Old Testament, (laughs) right? Like, let's just think about the Ten Commandments. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. You don't need to hear that. Just love God. A person who loves God would never take the Lord's name in vain. Uh, Don't make a graven image. Don't bow down before an image. You don't need to tell people who love God not to worship idols. You don't need to tell them that. Because nobody who loves God worships an idol. And so all he's saying is if you love God, you will automatically do everything that the Bible says about your relationship with God. If you love people, you know, honor your father and mother. Don't steal. Don't commit adultery. Like, just take all the rules about how we're supposed to treat people. If you love people, you would never do any of those things. So you don't even actually have to know all that stuff. If you just love people, you will not do things to sin against other people, which sexual immorality is sinning against another person. So nobody would ever commit sexual immorality if they actually loved people. And so the greatest commandment is that we love God and that we love others. You know, Romans chapter 12 says this let love be genuine, abhor what is evil. So true love hates evil. Hold fast to what is good. True love loves good things. It it loves what is true. Love one another with brotherly affection. (laughs) You ever hear somebody say, I can love you, but I don't have to like you. That's not brotherly affection. So when you don't like somebody, you're not loving them. Like that's one of those cop-out phrases we make to, to excuse our disobedience and having attitudes toward people that God does not intend for us to have. We need to love people with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. We're all taking turns honoring other people more than ourselves. What does the Bible say about gifts? The, the gifts that are less presentable, the gifts that are less prominent, we give greater honor to. That's just love, it's just loving people. It's just honoring other people. We're supposed to outdo one another in showing honor. And when it comes to the use of spiritual gifts, that's what we need to do. Don't be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Okay. All this stuff about loving other people flows out of a zeal of serving God. Our love for God pours out on the people that God has put around us. So, um, I always tell kids this. You know, I was a youth pastor for many years, and all all teenagers rebel against their parents, and sometimes three-year-olds, four-year-olds, and five-year-olds rebel against their parents too, right? And I used to always tell them that you always know you can always measure your relationship with the Lord. You know, I have these kids. They'd bring money. They'd go on missions trips, and they, they were doing all these great things for God, and, and uh, they were reading their Bibles and memorizing verses. And then I would just say to them, "So, um, what's your relationship with your mom and dad like? You ever fight with your parents?" And I used to always just tell them, "You actually know what your stand, the basis of your standing before God." By how your relationship is with your parents. Because if you love God, then you will love and honor your parents. And if you don't love and honor your parents, you don't love God. I don't care about these religious things you're doing, that is the measure of your relationship with the Lord. And since uh, none of you guys are teenagers, (laughs) but some of you are married, I want to just say this to you you can measure your relationship with the Lord by your marriage. Um, how well do you get along with your spouse? How well are you honoring your spouse? Do you put their needs above your own? Because I don't care what you're teaching in church. I don't care what religious duties you're doing. Your relationship with God is reflected in how you treat the person you are married to. And actually, if you're a parent, the way that you love and treat your kids is a reflection of your relationship with God. Like these are just like, it's kind of like on a dashboard, you know, it's like there's like little warning lights that come on on your dashboard. And God has given us human relationships as a warning light for how we are doing with Him. And so, um, as you think about that, um, man, uh, we love other people. Um, by loving God. And that is a reflection of our love for God. Um, So uh, one of the things I think about in this passage, if, if you'll look down at verse 27, it says, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So I want you to think about this. When you love somebody at church, you are loving Jesus. Like, okay, this analogy is that we are Jesus's hands, we are his feet, we are his legs, we are his eyes, we are his ears. And so you love Jesus by loving people. The church is the body of Christ. You know, Jesus says that, right, when in Matthew chapter uh, 25 when he's talking about um, a judgment that's going to happen in the future and he's dividing the sheep and the goats. And he's sending the sheep, the sheep on one side, the goats on the other. I think I did that wrong. I think it's the sheep on this side and the goats on this side. Um, but, if, but if I'm faced this way, it's the sheep here and the goats here. So you guys are all okay but, um, as far as right and left. But um, the, the issue with that is that Jesus just says, um, hey, I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me something to drink. And people are like, hey, when, when did we see you hungry or thirsty? And he's like, well, when, when you didn't do it to the least of these, you didn't do it to me. And then he's saying to others, I was hungry and you, you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. And they're like, when did we see you, Jesus? And he said, in that you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. And so we need to think about that in the body of Christ and how we treat people and how we think about people. If Jesus were here, would you do that to Him? When you're married, if Jesus were in your house, would you treat him the way you're treating your spouse? If Jesus were in your house, would you treat him the way you're treating your kids? Because Jesus takes all that personally, and that's the whole point in the church. We are the body of Christ, and so we love each other, and that is how we love Jesus. By the way, if we think about that rightly, and I just want to say this, like if you're a parent and your kids Um, don't have an attitude of honor and respect and love for you, but they go to youth group every week, and they're excited about something they're doing in youth group, But, but there is no desire to honor your authority, to love you, to obey you, that tells you your kids are in spiritual trouble. And that's one of the huge mistakes that parents make as they're raising kids is um, they measure the spiritual well-being of their kids by what activities they're checking off. And then they wonder, you know, my kids were in youth group and they were in church and they did all this stuff and now they're 25 and they're drinking and they're partying and they're living with people they're not married to and they're in total rebellion. They were doing so well when they were young. But now, look, their life's a mess. And it's because nobody like thinks about how do you know if somebody's doing well? And we need to understand that about ourselves as well as our kids so that we can pursue spiritual faithfulness and discipleship before it is too late. And so we don't want to be pursuing it later. We want to be dealing with it now. And so we just understand that tons of problems in the church Are reflected because people do not view each other correctly. They don't view spiritual gifts correctly. And there's tons of conflicts in churches because if you think about it, people don't treat each other as though that person was Jesus, even though the Bible says that all over the place. Like, how do you read the Bible? How can you be in church? How can you not? How is this not totally obvious if you read the Bible? Because it says it everywhere. Well, it says it here too. Um, Let me read just a couple other verses about this. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. How about that passage, 1 John? Um, Whoever says he's in the light is a believer, and hates his brother, is still in the darkness. <laughs> Do you hate anyone? Do you know anybody who hates anyone? Um, I mean, it kind of says that, right? Um, nobody can... It, it says in 1 John 4, 7... Um, or there's another passage in 1 John that says, If you don't love your brother whom you have seen, you cannot love God whom you haven't seen. So hey, we all struggle with this, right? But we ought to take it seriously. We need to think about it. And we do fail. And you know what, as believers, we don't always love people the way they should, right? Like this is not this portrayal that we all have to be perfect and we all have to love everybody perfectly. I mean, if if we did that, we'd we'd all be in trouble, right? But do you know how Christians respond to sin? They're heartbroken, they're convicted, they feel guilty. And the Holy Spirit inside them drives them to change. And um, so we don't necessarily change overnight, but over time we grow and change. And that's the reflection of the Holy Spirit in the life of a Christian. And that's what God wants for our church. Um, you know, we want uh, we'll to I mentioned this at the men's retreat and I've talked to this with the elders a little bit. I really want our church To be a place that if the rapture happened that rancho santa margarita that our neighbors would say hey what happened to foothills church where'd they go because they were doing this and they were doing this and we were being blessed in this way and where'd they go um but here's the deal Um, our church is never going to have that kind of an impact in the community if we are not the church inside the walls that God intends us to be? It'll never happen. And the other thing is, if we're not the church that God intends us to be, well, what good is it to bring other people here? Let's let's bring other people here so that they can learn how not to behave. Let's bring some people here so that we can be unloving to them. Let's bring some people here so that they can watch us fight with each other. Let's bring some people in here so that they can see jealousy, and division happening within the church. (laughs) You want to know what else happens? You You ever hear of church divisions, church splits? You ever see conflicts in churches where you got these groups, and and I've heard people talk about the church. Oh, the church was so amazing. I remember way back when when the church did this and the church did that, and it was just so wonderful. And then you think to yourself, yeah, and what happened? We, We can gather people together so that we can blow up and have everybody go different directions because they don't like each other. And then we think, man, man, we, we build the church up and then it just falls down and we build it up and it falls down. And I, and I just think about all the waste, all the harm, all the damage that happens in a church because people don't put this stuff into practice. Hey, we don't want to be that, right? We don't want to gather people so that we can you know, destroy them, harm them. <laughs> I remember the church, I loved it. and Then this terrible, you know anybody who's been injured and damaged in the church? And it's like, we don't gather so that we can then harm people. And uh, what stops that from happening is this. It's when we actually are driven and motivated by a love for Christ that reflects itself in our relationship with other people. And by the way, when you're working on stuff in a church and you start confronting division and you start confronting some of that unhealthy spiritual behavior, guess what happens? Sometimes people get mad because they don't want to be confronted. They don't want to do the things that God wants. And uh, that's a shame when that happens. And sometimes God prunes churches and, and you'll have like churches that are together and there's people in the church that are unwilling to change. They are unwilling to do things that God says to do. And so then God prunes them, takes them out. That's not a bad thing. That's actually a gift. I mean, it's heartbreaking for a person who won't change. It is a blessing for a church family when God removes spiritually unhealthy, divisive people. And we need to be very careful That we don't slip into that, but that we just go, hey, what would God say? I'm going to do that. Here's the second thing that we're going to see here. Is that God is the priority in how we view and use gifts. God's the priority in that. Let me just um, look at this, verse 28. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third, teachers. God's putting an order on these gifts of people that he puts in a church, first, second, and third. And then he continues the order, but he doesn't even number them. He just says, then miracles, then gifts of healing helps administration and various kinds of tongues. So he creates this order and he lists these gifts. So I want to just briefly, we're going to come back and address these more um, in the coming days because we'll run across this more in First in Corinthians, but I want to just say something. First of all, God appointed these things. This is an emphasis on God's sovereignty. When you read chapter 12, it is an emphasis on the authority of God and how he works and what he does and that he chooses and he puts people here and it's his power that accomplishes things. It's all about God. It is not about us, which Satan wants it to be all about us. And um, the other thing is that nobody gets to choose what their gift is or what position they hold. God decides that. God puts people in positions. You know, that's something that's been super helpful for me over the years. Um, there's times that in my life I've had leaders that I would not have picked. And um, there, maybe there were things about them that kind of bugged me. <laughs> you want to know what always helped me navigate that? <laughs> I always thought to myself, yeah, maybe I wouldn't have picked this person. But guess who did pick them? God. And so every time I felt aggravated or every time I felt like, yeah, that person's not doing this how I like and that person's not doing the thing I think's best, (laughs) you know what I thought to myself? I'm not God. And God apparently thinks that person should be there doing those things. And me being able to understand that has allowed me to function in what I view as less than perfect. And sometimes later, I've come to realize that the way I saw things wasn't actually right. Right. Other times I've come to realize that, yeah, that was a legitimate weakness that that person had, but God still used them. And God's not dependent on the perfection of other people. And so we need to understand God's sovereignty as we think about our church and the church family. So um, let me talk a little bit about apostles. So the word apostle means one who is sent or commissioned with authority. It's a, it's a person sent out as a representative. Every time in the New Testament that this word is used, it is not translated apostle. Most of the time it is. But sometimes it's translated as a messenger. And so there are capital A apostles. You know who the capital A apostles are? It's the 12 disciples. It's the Apostle Paul. And the early church had some apostles that they sent out. Um, have you ever heard of anybody claiming to be an apostle today? Um, I would say there are not apostles today the way there were apostles in the New Testament period. God was building the church with apostles. And so these people were sent with special authority. Um, the Bible tells us in Ephesians 2.20 that the body of Christ was built on the, on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Christ being the cornerstone. In Acts 2.42, the church was devoting itself to the teaching of the apostles, to fellowship, to communion, and to prayer. And uh, so there's other examples in the New Testament of people that were sent out uh, by churches, and that's usually translated messenger. Um, And we'll look at more of those at some point in the future. Um, So apostles, unique foundational somebody that god used to build the church um s- uh, official representatives of christ um, then there were prophets you know what a prophet is so a prophet is somebody who speaks forth sometimes prophets there are people who proclaim divine messages and um sometimes they're the human originator like if you look at the old testament the prophets wrote the old testament uh, the apostles, uh, Paul was a prophet and he wrote the New Testament. And so, the, so the, the prophets are people that God divinely spoke through. Now, not every prophet was writing Scripture. God gave prophets to the New Testament church as the New Testament church is being developed. Now think about this. You have the Old Testament, Right? And so you've been told, <laughs> don't eat bacon. <laughs> you know, the Jews, don't eat bacon and don't, don't mix your clothes. You cannot, you cannot have clothes that are cotton and polyester. That would be wrong. And don't eat shellfish and you know all these things and just the uniqueness of the Jewish nation. And then the apostles come and Jesus comes and, and Jesus comes and He dies on the cross and He says, okay, I'm the fulfillment. And the Old Testament law has not passed away, but it has been fulfilled. And then Peter's told, right, They tell Peter, God tells Peter, go eat some bacon. This is in Acts 10 when he's going to go see Cornelius. And Peter's like, heck no. I've never disobeyed the Bible. I am not going to disobey the Bible. What does it take to, to say, no, that's different? And so God sends apostles and He sends prophets to speak on His behalf. Now how do you know when a prophet is from God? Well, the Bible tells us how to know that. And so... Um, In Deuteronomy, it says the first thing is if a prophet comes to you and tells you, this is Deuteronomy 13, if a prophet comes to you and tells you to worship other gods, we could expand that and say to disobey something in Scripture. And then we could say, and the guy does, in Deuteronomy 13, and the guy does a real miracle to prove it. Mm. So we take God's Word, we put it up there. This guy comes, tells us to disobey it. This is Deuteronomy 13. He does a real genuine miracle. You know what it says after that? God's testing you to see if you're going to obey Him. Kill that guy. That's what it says in in down verse 6 or 7 of chapter 13. So a person who does a real miracle and contradicts Scripture is to be killed in the Old Testament. So that's, so that's one measure. You remember when the Apostle Paul preaching to the Bereans? You remember what they did? They searched the Scriptures to see if what Paul was saying was true because a true prophet does not contradict Scripture. So there's a second way you can tell a false prophet. This is Deuteronomy 18. And that is when a person comes and they say, hey, I'm speaking for God. And then they make a prophecy and that prophecy doesn't come True. That guy's supposed to be killed too because God never makes mistakes. God doesn't make wrong prophecies. So in the New Testament, it's this transitional time. You have the apostles, and so they're in a sense guiding. These are the 12 guys that hung out with Jesus. And so they're they're like overseeing, giving guidance and direction. God is speaking through them. He's giving new things. And there's other prophets as well that are guiding and helping the church because they don't have the Bible. And so there's unique ways that God is miraculously affirming these messages. And by the way, um, you know, none of them said disobey the Old Testament. They helped understand rightly how to apply the Old Testament now that Jesus had come. And uh, one guy in Acts 11, his name's uh, Agabus, and he stood up and he foretold in the spirit that there would be a great famine all over the world, and it really happened. So God, through this prophet, is helping the church stay alive. It's He's testifying to everybody. God is speaking the future through these people, and they're able to go and do ministry there. Uh, the apostle Paul, Acts chapter twenty-one, the same guy comes when Paul's going to leave uh, the Ephesian elders, and he says, "Hey, the guy who owns this belt." He grabs Paul's belt and he says, "This guy's going to get beat." <laughs> and uh, what happens? Well, Paul ends up leaving, and what happened to Paul? <laughs> he got beat. <laughs> And, but Paul at the time, he just goes, hey, not only am I willing to be beaten, I'm willing to die for Christ. So the, the guy gives a real prophecy. Hey, Paul, if you go, it's going to be bad for you. And Paul's like, good, I want to go where God wants me to go, and I don't care what it costs me. So there's these prophets. And, um, you know, so you have that. And the Bible says in Acts 13, 1 through 3, now in the church in Antioch were prophets and teachers. Uh, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and uh, Mahanian, and a long friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Like, these are all prophets that God, prophets and teachers, God gave to the New Testament church. And then I'm going to just, I'm going to bring this to a close here. But, you know, the Bible tells us that we need to beware of false prophets. We need to beware of false prophets. Uh, Matthew 7, Jesus said, beware of false prophets. In 2 Peter, it says that false prophets arose and that there are going to be false prophets in the future. Uh, Matthew 24 says, Many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And it says in Matthew 24, 24, False Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead away, if possible, even the elect. So false prophets come and false prophets do miracles. And so I just want to go out there and I want to tell you, we see a lot of that kind of stuff today, right? You see any uh, miracle workers, uh, people who are prophesying? I've gone to Christian gatherings and, and I've had somebody say, um, hey, I need somebody who can give a prophecy. We need somebody to come give a prophecy and, uh, but, but he says, I would like a three by five prophecy, not a long prophecy, but a three by five card prophecy. If you could just come forward and give us a prophecy. And I'm just thinking to myself, um, could you picture a, a, a king saying to Isaiah or Jeremiah, hey, dude, not 66 chapters, dude, I'll, I'll take a three by five card. And, and I'm just sitting there thinking to myself, if you think this is prophecy, If you think this person is actually speaking for God, you're going to tell them how long they can talk? Like we'd sit there all day to hear what God has to say. And then I hear these people getting up and sharing their prophecies, and it's kind of like a devotion. Hey, I read this in Scripture, and it was very encouraging to me, and I want to challenge you with this. And you know the truth is, uh, for those, quote, prophecies, there's nothing wrong with anything I heard that, that the people actually said. But I can tell you this, not a prophecy It is is a terribly um, shuddering thing to stand up in front of a group of people and say, I am speaking for God. God is speaking for me. You know, in the Bible, when people did that and they did it inaccurately, they were destroyed. They were judged. Um, God-like People that speak presumptuously are killed. There's a prophet that got up and said, oh, hey, God's going to free Israel. Uh, The Lord is speaking through me. And he gives a prophecy. And um, God tells Jeremiah, go tell that guy that he's going to tell people he's going to lie to people claiming to be from me. Let me tell you what's going to happen to him because he said that. And we have churches full of people. We have movements all over the place. We have all kinds of people prophesying, God told me to tell you this, and I have a special message for you. And, and in my last church, um, my brother-in-law's a doctor, and somebody walked up to him and just said, the Lord told me you should go on a mission trip. And he just says, well, I'm going to wait to hear that from God directly. <laughs> I've seen people walk up to other people and say, God has told me that you should marry you. That type of thing is something that we should be very careful of and stay away from. And especially when people do and say things and make predictions that don't happen, and they say things that are biblically wrong. Do you know that God does not affirm with miracles wrong teaching? He doesn't do that. He doesn't send somebody out to say something that's not true and then do a miracle to verify them. So a lot of these places where they're... um, Prophesying and uh, they have views of the gifts that are unbiblical, like that God gave you this gift so that you could edify yourself. Anybody who says that kind of thing and claims to do miracles and have the power of healing and things like that, those are false teachers. Stay away from them. Have you ever heard somebody say that speaking in tongues is a sign that you've been baptized by the Holy Spirit? Anybody who claims to speak for God, to do miracles, have, the, have healing ministries, that also says that people full of the Spirit speak in tongues. What does it say right here? Does everybody speak in tongues? No. So anybody who says that, some people are just wrong. Like there's people who in error say, yeah, speaking in tongues is a sign of the Holy Spirit. That doesn't mean that they're a false teacher. It could just mean that they're wrong. That they've been around a bunch of people who have taught them things that are wrong. But when a person says, I heal people, and then they say these things that are unbiblical, that are wrong. Things like, have you ever heard in a lot of these movements, God doesn't want people sick. The power of life and death is in the tongue. The Old Testament says, by His stripes, you've been healed. That means nobody needs to to be sick ever. Um, as Christians, we can claim physical healing. Anybody who says that is a false teacher, especially if they say we do miracles. So all the people were there, slaying people in spirit in the spirit, and they have all this heretical, false teaching. And and it's like so. Here's the thing with like there's this whole debate about you know are are the are these miraculous gifts for today or are they not for today? I know good, solid, faithful people who believe that the gift of miracles and all those things are still in operation today. You want to know something about those people? They do not proclaim all, this false, all these false things. There's a, they, they, they struggle to make decisions about what they see happening. And they have a different view about what some of those things are. But they don't teach heretical things. And then there's other people who say, hey, this is not for today. And, and they believe that some of these miraculous gifts have passed away. Faithful people. So there's like some differences in that. But I would just say this. If you take the heretics and you take the people who teach wrong things while they claim to have miracles, if you just put a circle around them, get rid of all those people. And then you take other people. You know, this, the whole thing of like the charismatic movement versus the, the, the cessationist movement. That gets super small. And what you find out is that the people on those different sides are actually not that far apart. So if we just look at what does Scripture say, let's get rid of the, th- the people who identify themselves as false teaching, there's way less drama and com- controversy within the church. And so um, these are things that we need to value the teachers and the miracles and gifts of healing, and we need to think about what all those things are. And so we'll come back and we'll pick some of this up um, the next time we're together, and we'll, we'll talk about gifts of healing, we'll talk about the gift of tongues, we'll talk about some of those things ma- uh, referred to in this passage, and then we'll talk about what Jesus says about love. Let me pray for us. God, I just thank you so much for your Word. God, thank you for giving us truth, and God, I pray that we would be people that do not squelch the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, that we know that you are a powerful God who does miracles. You always have. And Lord, we pray and you answer prayer and Lord, you heal people. But God, I pray that you would help us to think rightly about spiritual gifts, about prophets, about apostles. And Lord, we would not be deceived by all the counterfeit work that Satan is doing and that we would be able to identify and value your leading and your truth in your name. Amen.